to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. This is episode 12 on January 12th, 2020. Pack show for you guys today. Running the show today, I'm Greg, as usual. Running the captain's chair. Next, Whoa. on my left, wait till I introduce you. On my left is a man who thinks rotten milk makes good headgear as he roots on his cheese heads in the divisional round. Zach, how's it going? Uh, good. I'm excited. I'm excited for the game. You know, it's nice for one of us to have a team in the playoffs still. So, What's that like? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and on my right, on the ones and twos, a man so excited about some recent Cincinnati si- signings that he's considering getting a Japanese visa for himself. Josh, how's it going? <laughs> you said you had a good intro for me. I was wondering... Where are you going to go with it? That was pretty good, though. I'm very excited about all the signings. We have now two Japanese stars in Cincinnati now. After wow. having none, in one week we get two. So That's going to be quite the culture shock from anybody from Japan to come to Cincinnati. I don't know why. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get we'll to some uh, news later. But uh, to recap from our last show, uh, Shogo getting signed by the Reds. Last team to sign a... Uh, Japanese international and he said that was one of the things that drew him to Cincinnati was that they had never signed anyone from Japan so uh, I guess that's one way to do things but to get us set for the show today uh, obviously tons of news in Ohio a little bit of breaking news coming up here shortly as well as talking Cavs uh, all things college basketball around the state of Ohio and then also talking a little bit of uh, puck and some MLS signings and super draft uh also talking about a fun little Cavs basketball challenge that uh, I participated a little bit in this weekend that we'll get into in our segments. And then also discuss uh, Wild Card Weekend, the hot stove, and a little national championship that's coming up tomorrow that I'm sure Zach will be on the edge of his seat watching. So uh, should be a good one here today, but as we do every week on 30 Rack of Sports, to get through this show and to get through a week of sports in Ohio... We're going to need a beer. Josh, it was your week this week. What are we drinking today? Uh, well, Zach, last week he did the, uh, he had his hometown brewery, uh, Brewery 33 from Logan, Ohio. So I was going to do a brewery from my ho- hometown, which uh, incidentally is also your hometown, Greg. Well. Um, <laughs> and we didn't have any breweries in our hometown uh, a couple years ago. Now we have like... All Three or four, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is from Sonder Brewing in Mason, Ohio. Uh, Cato. Uh, it is a, a version of their Kolsch. Um, this is their coffee Kolsch, though. Um, their, their Kolsch is fantastic, but this coffee Kolsch, uh, even better, I think. So So don't want to well actually you, but I told you this was coming. Actually not pronounced Kolsch, pronounced Kelsch. Kelsch, excuse because, me. Because uh, it's from Cologne, which is pronounced Köln in Germany. If uh, any of you have taken any German classes, which I'm sure both of you have, nope, the O no. umlaut, you pronounce like your your mouth makes the O and then you say E, so Kölsch. So it's Kelsch is how you pronounce it. Huh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> learn something. Uh, learn something learn new something every, German day. every day. Sorry. I mean, I guess. Sorry to uh, also. The, uh, how they pronounce their dishwasher is automatic dishwasher. So it's Geschirrspool Automaten. So there you go. Second thing you learn in German today. 
But this isn't a German podcast. This is an Ohio sports podcast. So, Josh, hit that music. So, as we mentioned on the top, we have a little 30-rack breaking news just before we got into our production meeting. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network uh, announced that the Browns were set to hire Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski as their new head coach. Uh, Stefanski was one of three finalists, along with Robert Sala, the 49ers DC, and Josh McDaniels, the New England offensive coordinator. Uh, also came out last year that um, the analytics department was leaning towards wanting Stefanski as their next coach. Uh, that's run by uh, former Moneyball guy Paul D. Podesta. So I guess in the end, the analytics department won, and Kevin Stefanski is the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, to give a little background, he was a defensive back at Penn, but has been on the offensive side of the ball since he's gotten into the league. He's been with Minnesota since 2006, uh, basically doing every job on the offensive side, assistant to the head coach, assistant QB coach, tight ends coach, running backs coach, QB coach, and OC. So... I guess starting with you guys, Zach. What do you think about this hire? Um, you know, I'm just bummed that the yearly Browns coaching sh- search is over. That's what I look forward to every year. So I'm just gearing up for next year. Um, but <laughs> um, as a Packers time to change fan, the air filter. As a Packers fan, I'll say that sounds very underwhelming to me. Um, and I think what they put up yesterday is a bit underwhelming. But I don't know. If you can make Kirk Cousins, in my opinion, somewhat of a reasonable quarterback in this league, I think that goes a long way. Um, like I kind of mentioned before the show, I don't... Anytime a coach who's been with one organization so long, that does worry me a little bit as far as, you know, what he's going to bring to a new organization, how he's going to fit in. But um, I don't know. I guess I'm surprised. I thought they were going to go with McDaniels, but who knows what he requested out of that. Yeah, it seemed like uh, he was kind of coming in with a whole list of demands. And uh, it was also looking like, because actually when I had prepped for the show yesterday, I had all these, you know, hey, these are all the coaching interviews that they've done. This is, you know, they might name the head coach today, but they'd interviewed a bunch of GMs to kind of go along with some of uh, the coaching uh, candidates that they had had. But some guys from New England they were kind of interviewing based on, I believe, what McDaniels wanted. Maybe there were some issues there, and uh, for whatever reason, maybe analytics, maybe just everyone thought he was the best guy for the job. Stefanski comes out with uh, with the job. Uh, just to give a little background, as you said, the Vikings offense in 2019, um, middle of the pack in yards per game, 16th, uh, 23rd in pass yards per game, 6th in rushing, and 8th in scoring. Uh, the Browns were basically 22nd in everything except for rushing. They were 12th. So I mean, basically an improvement based on what they had, but still not exactly one of those offensive wizards that would blow you away. And I know Diggs, <clears throat> excuse me, I know Diggs had some injuries this year and was in and out, and who knows his effectiveness. Thielen but was in and out. Thielen, I know, but they still they have weapons there in Minnesota, and I felt like I mean that was a team as a Packers I was the most worried about, and I felt like kind of on the offensive end they really. You know, they'd have a couple games there where they would just blow people out, but otherwise it was pretty underwhelming performance all around. I didn't think they really brought anything very creative to the offensive side of the ball. 
um, kind of a stagnant style offense. So, but you know how much of that is him, and you know I think you trust the analytics guys. They must have seen something in what he brought to the table. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I would probably say is going into this, I said I wanted a you know a real head coach who would you know maybe lead some discipline. Obviously, penalties were up, and there was some other garbage that went on. So a little bit disappointed in that. Hopefully he can actually run as a head coach and maybe find someone to really call plays so Mm -hmm. he's not kind of in over his head because that's my first big worry. But also, um, I think looking at it, last year, Kirk Cousins is a pretty mediocre quarterback. So I will say that. But the one thing that I think he was able to do that, that I'm hopeful for is he had two good wide receivers, and obviously the Browns have Landry and Beckham, Mm -hmm. and he was able to get them both involved. And then also was very much, we're going to run the ball. And I think running the ball was the Browns' biggest strength last year, and I think when they got away from it sometimes and became a little pass-happy, they got in trouble. So Mm -hmm. having a guy who likes to run the ball when you have a backfield that is you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt could be very effective for the offense. So um, I'm sure over the coming days, you know, and obviously, but it's just announced before the show, so we don't know what we're looking at as far as OC, DC, or even GM. So it mm-hmm. will be kind of interesting here to see how the whole Browns uh, top line kind of molds in these next coming weeks. Yeah. Well, and I think this is a big reset for the Browns um, from what they tried to accomplish, you know, um, and kind of got caught up in the whole Kitchens Dorsey, which they've now – you know, corrected that whole thing and are now trying. They're also trying to get back former VP of player personnel, Andrew Barry, who's now with the Eagles. So I think they're trying to go back to plan A from a couple of years ago, which I think is the best move right now. Yeah, and I know Andrew Barry was one of the guys that they were interviewing, and they said he was kind of with Stefanski because he was uh, in Philly, but I guess it had some, some contacts with Stefanski somewhere along the line. So uh, at least a good idea. The one thing that I'm at least happy about, at least from what it seems like, is they're trying to get a GM and a coach that are at least kind of the same way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think at times, especially, I mean, over the course of God knows how many head coaches and GMs, there have been a lot of times where they've kind of been thinking different and, you know, so that's really affected them on the field. So good to see that they're at least, they at least sort of what it looks like have a plan, but... The one thing that I know is if I get my hopes up, I'm going to be severely disappointed. And I think that's the one thing that uh, Browns fans can hang their hats on is that they weren't really super excited about this hire, which means mm-hmm. it might be a good hire. So. Right. Yeah, never know. I think the biggest thing is going to be the coordinators. Who does he bring in with him? Does he bring somebody with head coaching experience into the room? Yeah. And also uh, what he does as far as, like, play calling to see if he does, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh just a defensive guy that basically takes over the entire side of the ball and calls plays, or if he actually has someone that calls the plays. But uh, we'll keep you updated as the weeks progress and as this coaching staff starts to fill out. Uh, you know, in Ohio, we're starting to get into our best season of the year when it comes to football, draft season. So we will be sure to get into that soon after we start to wrap up, uh, you know, the rest of the NFL playoffs. Moving on to uh, actually staying up in Cleveland. We're going to go to the Cavs. The Cavs had a very up-and-down week this week. Uh, Started off with a couple losses, finished up with a couple wins. Uh, Had a kind of a weird uh, home-and-home against Detroit where they ended up blowing a big lead and losing to Detroit. And then, 
coming back and winning in overtime on Thursday. But the biggest story of the week was uh, Wednesday night between the two Detroit games. There was a uh, film session at the uh, at a hotel in Detroit where John Beeline said that, hey, you guys are aren't are no longer playing like, quote, a bunch of thugs. Uh, claimed he meant to say slugs. Uh, it was kind of a big deal, I guess. Reports were kind of up and down. No player really said anything, but it sounded like uh, he meant to say playing like a bunch of slugs, said thugs, maybe some players or someone took some offense to it. So he called each player to apologize Wednesday night into Thursday. Um, it was obviously a big news story over ESPN and everything, but uh, after the win on Thursday, Colin Sexton, uh, the second-year point guard, says, quote, he calls us slugs all the time because we slow. We knew what he meant, just blown out of proportion. So I guess I'll start with you, Zach. Think this is a story? Think this is just kind of a misspeak? Do you think it affects the team going forward? What do you really think here? Um, I think it's a non-story. I do. I think... Um I don't know, and maybe I don't know much about this, but I, I just think as probably an, he misspoke. I can't imagine John Beeline calling people thugs. That just doesn't seem like his MO. And I mean, this is a guy who's coached basketball for 40, 50 years. Yeah, and his um, coached college kids that would get offended by right. it. You know? And you've never heard anything that came out of the U of M. Everything I've heard, the players loved him. If anything, he may have said thugs, and I think that was a misspeak. You yeah. Know, I don't think that was anything purposeful. Um, and it sounds like, you know, the team pretty much has moved on from it um you know he did his apologies which i think you just whether you meant say it or not you do that and he did and honestly i think it's another week no one's gonna think about it and i you know maybe it'll bring the team a little bit closer together i don't know josh yeah thoughts I mean, on this? when i first when i first saw the story i was like oh boy like, right yeah <laughs> that's the last thing this team needed is is more controversy in the locker room but with the play, the way the players have handled it, and I think definitely their efforts uh, mm. the other night, uh, I think this is a non-story. I think they're yeah. getting over it, um, which leads us to that big game the other night. Well, we're going to actually get into this whole week, but uh, the game that they had right afterwards was a big response because Tuesday night uh, they were playing at home against Detroit, up by 11 going into the third quarter, outscored by 13 and lost on the Derrick Rose buzzer beater kind of coming back together after those, you know, beeline comments and kind of, you know, melding as a team. We're down by 11 at halftime, came back to win in overtime. Um, On Thursday, Tristan Thompson actually had a career-high 35 points and 14 rebounds. So the team really rallied together and were were able to figure it out. And then last night, a huge win over the two-seed in the West, Denver Nuggets. Uh, Sexton had 25 points. Uh, Love had 19 and 15 love or Osman had 11 and 12 um just really big game all together uh ended up beating denver 111 103 and it was a game where they were up big uh kind of got tired you know in the mm-hmm. altitude up there denver got back into the game but were able to close it out and it's you know the Cavs have had a lot of uh headline grabs the last few weeks with the love thing yeah. and now the slugs thing but it seems like one, some of the young guys are starting to figure it out. Uh, Darius Garland, who's the young point guard, only played f- like five games at Vandy, had 15 assists in the last two games, and he's mm-hmm. only been averaging like three this year. So 
a lot of good movement from the Cavs, and hopefully, you know, some of these things are something to bring them together, and obviously none of us thought they were going to be a good team this year. I think the over-under was like 24 wins, yeah. but they're at 11 wins, or they're at 13 wins right now, so maybe something to show that they're at least a feisty team that can get some wins. I mean, yeah, I think it goes... This you know what we saw Thursday and throughout the rest of the week from them shows it was you know the beeline thing is blown out of proportion. Honestly, it's probably one guy got offended. You know that's what this stuff always is. That's one yeah. guy, and then everybody else is like, eh, you know, who cares? Um, but I think I don't know if I was if I was a Cavs fan right now, I'd be pleasantly, you know, pretty happy with uh, what John Beeline's done. There's been some ups and downs, and obviously some headlines that you don't like to see but i think that's not surprising considering it's a first time nba job for him and just it's a different media pressure yeah involved with that but um i think based on the roster and what he's done i think you know it seems like they play with some energy and you know at times can be pretty fun there's gonna be the ups and downs and that's what i think i think they're a team that's streaky because they're young they they kind of come up and down in the minnesota game on sunday they were down by a bunch came back uh dante exum who's missed the last two games because of an uh, an illness had like 25 points in a quarter like just or 25 points in the second half just went off he was the guy that they got in the trade for Jordan Clarkson so they have a lot of young pieces with some potential and I think if they can just figure it you know take this year to figure it out they'll probably get a decent lottery pick next mm-hmm. year maybe some picks as they start to sell off some of these guys you know come uh, trade deadline time which is I believe in the first week of February so it's certainly something to say, hey, maybe we're not, you know, we're not going to be a good team this year, but hey, maybe we can add another piece in the draft and, you know, add some players. We'll have a lot of cap space after this year and maybe turn it into a team that can fight for a playoff berth, which at this point is, you know, considering the success that they'd had, mm-hmm. you just want to show see some fight out of this team for right now. So mm-hmm. definitely good to see. Um, falling from the NBA ranks, to the college ranks, we're actually going to start with uh, what has been the best team in Ohio this season. I'm sure everyone saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> one of the top teams in the nation in Ken Palm, 15th in the nation as far as the AP rankings, probably going up again when the new AP rankings mm-hmm. are released tomorrow. Uh, your Dayton Flyers, Dayton 2-0 and this week. Uh, as we mentioned on Monday, they had a win over St. Joe's on Sunday. 80 to 67, and then an 88 60 throttling at home against UMass. Uh, just to mention in this game, I mean, they just blitzed UMass from the start. Obi Toppin, who's the potential lottery pick, 16 4 and 3. Uh, Mike Sell, their center, had 15 points, 14 rebounds. They had six players with 11 plus points. Uh, this game was never close, and Obi Toppin had a thunderous dunk. So. I guess, I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of questions to be asked here of this team. They look like a surefire tournament team, but... Uh, there is there is one question, because there is a little breaking news, because Obi Toppin did leave the game uh, mm. with a sprained ankle, um, yeah. and as of when we were recording on Sunday afternoon, there is no timeline for that. They've got VCU on Tuesday, so it is just a sprained ankle, and he was mm. smiling and everything, but he did not play the last couple minutes of that game. Well, so, okay, yeah, I only watched pretty early in that game. So, by the end but of I mean, it was but I mean, of. from I think you saw uh, what should be highlighted in this game is not just the offense from Dayton, but their defense as well. I mean, they held UMass to twenty six percent shooting in the first half. 
uh, 48% in the second half, and they had 12 steals, which outweighs their turnovers, their 11 turnovers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think you're seeing a Dayton Flyers team that even without Obi Toppin for half the second half, a quarter of the game, is a very efficient basketball team right now. No, very man. efficient. Yeah, but I guess where I was trying to go is, you know, obviously the, the Toppin thing might hurt, but, you know, that gets taken into account at the end of the year. I guess I would say, you know, them coming from kind of a mid-major conference in the A-10, what do you think their ceiling is as far as a seed line? Like right now they're 15, mm-hmm. so they're about a four, but sometimes the yeah. mid-majors get knocked down. You'd think they're maybe a five-ish right now. I, I mean, do you think three, two? I think three is probably as high as you could see them just because of their conference. You know, the way the schedule is going to play out. If you're playing a, a Power 5 conference, you're one of the bigger conferences you're imagining, you still got some ranked games coming up. Um, if I'm right, I, there's no one else in the A-10 ranked. No, there's no one right. else in the A-10 ranked right now. So I think that limits your ability to really, um, you know, beef up that resume. Yeah, I mean, they looking at the rest of their schedule, it's just, you know— your A10 games, yeah. and there, there, there will be some challenges in there, uh, right. you know. But uh, yeah, you're not going to get anything that's going to boost you above what I, I would say is a four or five seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they, your best when people look at your resume, kind of the things that stand out are two losses, though. They are losses, right? They so, are losses. Uh, Ken Palm has them as the fourth uh, mm-hmm. best offense right now. Um, yeah. So there's definitely plenty to be said of Dayton. Uh, you just resume wise, just, there's not three is probably as high as you're gonna see. Yeah, yeah, a beefy so, resume there. So taking a look at uh, Ken Palm, which you just uh, alluded to. For those of you who don't know, there's a guy named uh, Ken Pomeroy who started this Ken Palm uh, like 20 years ago. To kind of he ranks teams offense, defense, has all these equations, even one for like luck. So like how well you play, you know, in close games and kind of getting stuff done. But uh, with Dayton in the top 10. Looking at the rest of the A-10, there are only uh, three other teams in the top 70, and that's VCU, who they play next, who's 49, um, Duquesne, who's 65, and uh, Rhode Island, who is 69. So not a whole lot of room for quality wins. I know there's a lot of, you know, quad one. There's all a whole lot of numbers and all that yeah. stuff. So when you don't get a whole lot of chances to play top teams, that definitely affects your ability to be able mm-hmm. to make your resume look stronger and, you know, kind of move up. So will be difficult to them, difficult for them to move up. But uh, shifting gears from one of the hottest teams in Ohio to one of the coldest, um, the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, finished off another 0-2 week, uh, four losses straight, have not won yet in 2020 with losses at uh, – Maryland 67-55 and at Indiana 66-54. They now are 11-5, 1-4 in the Big Ten, um, actually tied for last in the Big Ten with Northwestern. So taking a look at it, they're number 11 in the nation, but in the Big Ten they are tied for number 13. So if that shows you how it's kind of been a a rough week, uh, Mm -hmm. Zach, it, it pretty much looks like it's just the Wessons, uh, it, it maybe is. Charton, and, and no one else. I mean, how did they kind of get out of this funk, Zach? Well, I mean, what they did well at the beginning of the year was, you know, everybody, there was somebody every week or every game stepping up since Christmas break, you know, 
and then they start off losing to Minnesota, nothing. I mean, it's basically like they're relying on the Westons to score 30 and just hope some other guys can chip in. Um, Kyle Young's been out. He finally played for the first time the other day, only 1.23 minutes. Not surprising for someone who's been out for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, and he's kind of been their X factor early in the season. Yeah. You saw, I mean, I've watched some of Ohio State, but especially early in the year, he was the guy getting the offensive rebounds and, and mm-hmm. kind of the guy that was going. So hopefully he'll get going maybe after getting the game back in, you know, getting his body back used to that kind of physicality. Um, I, I think right now they they just need a W. I think right now there's, you know, sometimes you're on those four-game losing streaks, you start to think, like, man, are we ever going to win? Because um, they didn't they, – both those games and, you know – even against Minnesota um, and stuff, they didn't play bad. There were stretches there where they looked like that team, uh, but they just haven't been consistent. Well, that's the one thing that I, I wanted to, to mention. First off, to go off your Wessons pretty much having to carry them, uh, you know, in the Maryland game, um, the Wessons had one had 15, one had 14, Churton had 14, but aside of that, there was a guy with seven and then basically, you nothing. know, a couple other guys scored but nothing else. Uh, Muhammad was 0 for 6 in that game. He's a you big know? one. He's a big uh, one. He needs to get back and get some buckets, yeah. But looking at the games, you know, uh, in the Minnesota or in the Maryland game, they were up 8 nothing to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, let them go on a run. Against Indiana, they were down by 12 after 10 minutes, up by 3 at halftime, outscored by 15 in the second half. Just so, I mean, you know, yeah. basketball is a game of runs, but it's just been so inconsistent mm-hmm. where, you know, I was paying attention to the game with UC being on, but it was just like, oh, they're done. Oh, they're back in. Oh, man, it looks like they're going to beat them pretty bad. Oh, man, they're down again. Oh, right. man, they're getting crushed. It's you know, just it's ugly. Just, turnover, you know, turnovers is a big one, too. This has been a consistent. That's, that's what I was going to talk about was turnovers yeah. is, uh, you know, when we – at the beginning of the year, all we've talked about up to this point on our show is like, wow, Ohio State, like – this right. is way better than anyone would have expected. I think they're just coming back down to earth now. Yeah. Uh, and you're seeing mm-hmm. the young team that they are. Right. Um, because, yeah, you like you said, you'd always have at least one guy a week step up with mm-hmm. Caleb Wesson. And now you're not really seeing that at all. Uh, and then the turn – what's crazy about this four-game losing streak is that they've held each of those teams to under 70 points. The defense and the effort's there. That's yeah. not the problem. Uh, but then on offense, like you had Carton seven turnovers uh, against uh, – in the Indiana game. Wesson himself had four turnovers uh, and were nine for 26 from oh, the yeah. three-point arc. It's- so when you fall apart in those key elements like that – and you're careless with the ball, and uh, we said, yeah, Muhammad earlier to hit a wall. Like, when you're seeing these young guys hit a wall, that can be dangerous for a young team yeah. because it can start to feel like, man, when am I going to hit a three? When are we going to get our next win? When are we right. going to get our next break? When are we going to get out of this run, you know? Yeah. yeah, you get worried about not making mistakes more more than making plays, and I think, uh, what, there were a couple people talking about it, you know, that said, hey, Nebraska ball is coming at the right time. Well, so. it is, I think. Well, they got they got to win. I don't know. I mean, I won't. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, oh, they got that. I mean, I'm hoping they're playing a mediocre team. Maybe they can get a win. I think right now that's where you're at as Chris Holtman. But we need to get a win right now, get that confidence back, and then hopefully they can get it rolling. But we've seen this before from Ohio State. You know, this is where Chris Holtman gets paid. The, that's why you get paid the big bucks. You got to pull them out. You got to figure it out. And I think the other thing that, uh, you know, isn't really being uh, noticed too much is Ohio State played twice on the road. And the one thing that, uh, you know, we'll talk about more when we talk about the national uh, college basketball ranks, but with there not really being too many, like, actually really good teams, 
teams are struggling on the road. Mm. I think I saw a stat that so far in Big Ten play, or at least it was last night, so maybe the last game or two, you know, didn't count, but uh, home teams were like 40 and 5 so far in conference. So it's just everyone's really struggling on the road. Uh, right now, uh, it, uh, Michigan State, who's number eight in the nation, is getting beat by almost 30 <laughs> with about two minutes to go. So they're going to, you know, I mean, they're about to, you know, and this game getting it's, walloped by Purdue. It's so overall it's just, just a weird call. We'll get to that with our final four picks. It's a weird college basketball season. You're seeing this across the country, across the board. Maybe besides a Dayton, it's well, probably been the most consistent. Well, and you're seeing yeah. you're seeing so many different type of trends. Like with Ohio State, we're seeing like a really bad trend at a really bad time. But then uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats um, seeing a good trend yeah. uh, for once. Yeah, the the Bearcats uh, bouncing back after what was can only really be described by an inexplicable loss at in New Orleans against Tulane last Saturday. Bounced back with uh, two big wins. Um, beat Tulsa 75-44 uh, during the week and then uh, won yesterday at UCF 68-54 for their first road win of the uh, year. So now they're 10-6, and 3-1 in the AAC uh, right now. The AACs, I mean, there's only been so many games, but it's kind of been a mess. Only one team is undefeated, so Wichita State is the only undefeated team in the conference right now. Everybody else is kind of up and down. But uh, UC, trying to put together a full game, have shown flashes of being a great team. Uh, The Tulsa game, they were up uh, 26-22 at halftime, outscored Tulsa 49-22 in the second half. So certainly some you know ability to grow once again against UCF down 29-26 at halftime outscored them 42-25 in the second half. So I think uh, you know with a big game at Memphis coming up next Thursday, I think it's kind of finding some consistency. Mm-hmm. But you know at good steps forward so far, Zach. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know three and one in conference. Um, I know we talked about. Again, um, I think Brandon. I think maybe they're starting to turn a corner. You see this with you know first year head coaches. Sometimes yeah. it's a little. I think you see one of two things. I think you see like when Holtman's first year in Ohio State got off to that crazy start faded. You see that, or then you kind of see the opposite where it's kind of bumpy as it was, and then you start seeing the team come together. I think maybe we're seeing that with UC right now. Um, you know, and I think different guys like a vote. He was a transfer, right, from NK. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, he's leading the way he's with been, 13 and a half. He's been Yeah, he's been fantastic. And he's Very a guy consistent who 10 to 15 points. Came in knowing the system, which Vogt, I think helped big time. Vogt has been unbelievable. He's been one of those guys the average, I believe, won his fr- one point in his freshman year for his sophomore year. So far uh coming into conference play, he was like 8 for 10, 8 for 10, 9 for 11 from the floor. I think he was only he was only 6 for 10 from the floor in the game today. So just <laughs> or uh, the game yesterday. So definitely good to see. Mm-hmm. I think the other two things that you can notice, one, starting to see a healthy Jaron Cumberland. Uh, mm-hmm. Had 22 in the game against Tulsa. Him and Javian just got hot from three and started to blow him out. But then also... As you said, as the team starts to meld, you start to find some things that work. And they were talking about it a lot during the UCF game, finding things that work for the player and the coach. Last year in the Cronin system, there wasn't really a whole lot of offense to be found, but Jaron kind of had the ball in his hands and had to make something happen. Well, in the second half of that UCF game, Brandon was putting the ball in, in Jaron's hands as the point guard a little bit more. And he really flourished. I mean, he had seven assists. He only had six points, but he had seven assists, 
was finding everybody, looked more comfortable with the ball in his hands and was able to, you know, create for uh, himself, but also, you know, the other team was so worried about him and double teaming him when he drive that he was able to find open shooters, you know, all second half and was really able to get things rolling. So it's good to kind of see, you know, some guys that looked to have some issues early kind of find some middle ground and it really looks like it's helping the team. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon's been talking about how the team needs to take the next step, take the next step. And I think they are ready to do that. Cause I mean, you saw, yeah, Jaron seven for 13 from the field, four for six from the arc. Yeah. Vote was six, six for six from the field. Uh, Trey Scott, five for eight. Uh, Javian was six, 11, three, uh, four for nine from the arc. I also, by the way, love this starting lineup from uh, Brandon of Scott, Vogt, Cumberland, Williams, Adams, Woods. Um, that I love that lineup. I think that gives you your best, your best starting five mm-hmm. as the starters with plenty, plenty of support from the bench. If they can keep, you know, this kind of rhythm going, and the just the up. The up-tempo is what we, we thought we were going to saw, and I think we're finally starting to see it, and they're finally starting to – what I love in the Tulsa game that we saw is they took advantage of transition points, and they created those chances where we've seen those chances be created plenty in the Mick Cronin era, but they couldn't really capitalize on them yeah. because of the slow tempo. I love this change of pace that we're well, seeing. And the other thing is early in the year the defense – was was bad there were a lot of open open baskets but i think the one thing that they've learned is they've started to adjust to kind of the you know amoeba zone defense that Mm -hmm. mick ran to a man-to-man that has put pressure and the one way that it's really been shown is uh in the tulsa game tulsa was 0 for 17 from three in the ucf game they were one for nine from three so that's one for 26 from three opponents have been shooting in the last two games obviously not probably sustainable at that pace but but it's something that they're forcing deep Mm -hmm. shots one because they're making them get late in the shot clock and having to shoot shots that they're not comfortable with two they're contesting every three so that affects it and then also when you're missing those threes, you get the long rebounds, which allow for, for runouts. And they have the guys, you know, a bunch of willing passers in, in Scott, Cumberland, and Adams Woods, some good finishers invoked in Williams. So it's certainly something that can um, uh, yeah. help out the team. I think you brought up a good point real quick. I mean, just with the Cumberland, I think he's a guy, he needs to have the ball. Some guys are comfortable playing without the ball. I think you could see early in the year when they kind of tried to yeah, get him off the ball. He was which, in and out. It's some guys are just not comfortable playing that way, and I think they're finally like, okay, you need to have the ball, you just need to distribute, and he has been, um, you know. But I think that's been a big, probably the biggest change. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's something that can help the team and, and help the team going forward. Uh, big game for them, going to Memphis on Thursday. Uh, a lot of people, you know, are saying if this is a win that they can get, um, it can certainly put them in the conversation for winning the American, but can also probably put them back into the conversation for getting into the tournament with a very high-stakes uh, road win. Pes- Go- pesky Memphis again. <laughs> yeah, pesky Memphis. Uh, going from one side of the city to the other side of the city, really still basically the same side, only three miles away. Uh, just to mention Xavier real quick. Xavier went one and two this week, um, win at St. John's last Sunday, but have uh, had – or win versus St. John's but have had uh, two straight losses at home, uh, 83-71 against Seton Hall, 71-65 against Creighton. Um, are now 1-3 and three in the Big East behind uh, 4-0 in the conference, Seton Hall, and 3-0 Butler. So uh, have had three home games, 
lost two of them. Um, and then also with their calling card being defense, giving up 70, or 67, 71, and 77, not exactly what you want to see. Uh, Najee Marshall had been leading the way. He had 21, 9, and 6 against Creighton, led the team in all three. It just seems like not quite enough firepower when they're not playing their top defensive uh, ability. Yeah, I think the Big Ten. I mean, not the Big Ten. The Big East. That's a you know, that's a tough conference. I remember I thought when they made that move over there, I was like, oof. You know, that's why it's a physical, bang it out kind of conference. So yeah, and there's a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You know, there are very few teams to get through. I think last year, you know, there was late in the season. It was like, you know, everybody but three teams or something like that were within a game of five hundred. Right. So it's one of those things, up and down. Uh, they have five of their seven January games at home, so go to a tough Marquette team on Wednesday. So will be interesting to see how they do there. One of the reasons why I bring up Xavier as a UC fan, uh, bringing up the Ken Palm rankings now, uh, really interesting to see a few of them. Dayton's at six in the nation because of how mm-hmm. good they've been. Ohio State's still at eight with a lot of the tough losses, but have lost on the road to some decent yeah. teams. Uh, UC up to 42 after a couple of nice wins. Xavier's fallen all the way to 46. They were like a team in the 20s. So hmm. certainly a rough patch for them, but four Ohio teams in the top 50. So good to see Ohio basketball, you know, up and down a little bit, but certainly could see a tournament with a number of Ohio teams. Uh, one of them not just coming from some of these major teams, but also coming from a little bit of a smaller league that has been very interesting this year in the Horizon League. Leading the Horizon League is uh, our pals up in Dayton, Wright State. Wright State 15-3 and on the year, 5-0 and in the league, uh, one at IUPUI 84-70 on Friday. I mean, this Wright State team, they won, I mean... They beat Maryland. Yeah, they beat Maryland. Uh, last year, they were able to upset, uh, you know, John Brandon, mm-hmm. Northern Kentucky team. To go to the tournament, they're a team that has won in tournaments. They're, they're, they're an older pesky. team, so they're certainly a team that can create some issues. Wright State's kind of really an underrated basketball school in this state over the last decade, decade and a half. I mean, they're always a tournament team right around there, and they can make some noise. They've got they're they're one of those scary teams mm-hmm. that like doesn't really have a guy. They right. have a ton of guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like you've got uh, London Love and Bill Wampler uh, are both hitting for fifteen points per game. Uh, you've got Tanner Holden, who leads the conference in a uh, field goal percentage, nearly shooting 60% Jeez. from the field. Um, so you've got all these guys, like everyone on that team mm-hmm. can score. You know, you've got like half the team can hit that 50 to 20 points per game range, and then your bench guys can hit that 10 to 15 point range. Right. And when you've got that kind of depth, you know, That's that you bodes well play. for you as one of those mid-major conferences come March. That bodes very well for you because like we talked mm-hmm. with Ohio State, you can have a couple of guys that are great shooters, but when you don't have the depth, mm-hmm. you see what happens. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that wears on you, and I think, um, and he, like I said, mid-major schools are scary to me, especially the good ones like Wright State when you have multiple guys and they can shoot, like, these 30-footers. You know, that those are the kind of teams where you, good night, you can knock off a Duke right. or some of these teams that strictly rely on one or two guys and they just dribble drive. Um, yeah, they have, they have uh, you know, uh, four guys that are shooting 40-plus percent from three, uh, they also play uh, later today, uh, 4.12 p.m. for whatever mm-hmm. reason, at uh, University of Illinois, Chicago. So, th- I mean, they're a team that has, you know, they're only three losses, one against um, 
a good Kent State team that's mm-hmm. you know near the top of the MAC. There's certainly a team that uh, you know could beat anyone on a good night. There are only three losses coming you know by two points or in overtime. So though they haven't played you know too much of the top competition, there's certainly a team that's older, can shoot well, yeah. plays decent defense, and they're a team that you know you've you've seen it a lot in recent years, and probably will see it more with you know as many as kind of fluky good teams as there's been mm-hmm. this year if you don't bring it as you know uh i mean i would assume being the horizon probably have 13 or something 13 14 seed right if you're a three or four seed that does not bring it and right state gets hot you could get ops upset oh, yeah. very quickly it's gonna be an interesting i'm excited for this march this this whole basketball season's weird and you just feel like i'm gonna have, we're gonna have like a a 14 seed in the final four or something. I feel like it's one of those well, kind like, of years. We, like yeah. last, last week we did the, uh, the Mac, mm-hmm. uh, kind of roundup and there's still like, who knows what could happen between Kent state, ball state, Akron right. there, you know, um, even OU's playing pretty yeah, good Yeah, Even ball. OU. And now, yeah. And right state you've got, or right state now in the horizon, you've mm-hmm. got right state. And then you've also got, uh, YSU is hanging in there. Yeah. Youngstown. The Penguins. Um, the Fighting Trestles. The Fighting uh, Trestles. They're, they're, they're led by uh, Darius, I uh, hope I'm saying this correctly, Kizuberry, uh, 15.3 points per game. Um, so mm-hmm. they're one of those teams that uh, a good defensive team uh, doesn't have quite the depth, I don't think, that the uh, right state does, but right. still hanging in there conference-wise. Yeah, Yeah, and I think the, the one team that uh, may be a little under the radar, obviously most people aren't following too closely into Horizon League, but uh, Cleveland State is seven and eleven, but three and two in the conference, tied for third with UW, Milwaukee, and NKU. Mm-hmm. Uh, did lose to Oakland by thirteen on Saturday, but the big thing about Cleveland State, you think ah seven and eleven, three and two, that's pretty mediocre. Well, they kind of, they had a pretty rough off season where uh, they had a bunch of players uh, have some issues with their old coach who was fired in June. A bunch of players transferred. Um, only four players remain from last year's roster, and they were pretty bad last year, 10-21, yeah. and 5-13 and 13 in conference. But to have a new coach in June, uh, Coach Dennis Gates, come in, get, you know, basically eight new players onto this team, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and some of their leading scorers like Popovic and whatnot had, uh, had transferred. And to be able to have a team that's, you know, gotten some wins and looks to be a competitive team in the conference is certainly a, a salute to him and just being able to you know kind of figure it out with a team that's full of you know transfers and, and some guys that were recruited late so maybe not a team that you'll see in march but uh certainly a shout out to cleveland state to kind of you know figuring it out and keeping things afloat and it's all about winning for for these kind of schools it's all about winning their conference that's oh, how yeah, they get in so matters. cleveland state's only two games back out of the conference they're getting killed on the road they have a one and seven record on the road and that comes with yeah with that's just adversity yeah. upon adversity piling on you there um, so I think, and that's something that's fixable. Um, but I really like Wright State. They're they're on an eight game winning streak. They've been, like you said last year, knocked off the top teams. They've been there. Yeah. If uh, if the Penguins of Youngstown can stick around, <laughs> then maybe we get ourselves a good conference championship game and uh, the Penguins sneak in there. But I like uh, the Wright State Raiders. Oh yeah, Wright State. I think's got uh, got a huh. always cheering for the Fighting Trestles here. But uh, <laughs> we'd love to see a team named the Penguins. I'm sure. 
you know, when you're in those bracket pools, people just pick them to go to the Elite Eight because they're... They the have the cutest logo. P- little penguin, penguin, with, penguin with a little yeah, hat yeah, on. Yeah. Little hat. He's, just, he's kind of looking angry, yeah. but you're just like, oh. oh look at it's, him, like, it's like a puppy that's growling at you. You're just like, oh. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that kind of concludes our college basketball roundout. We will uh, get back into the national game in our uh, national segments. But from one round ball to another round ball... Uh, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning, mentioning uh, Josh's interest in getting a Japanese visa. Going to soccer, uh, FCC signed designated player Yuya Kubo, who is actually the first Japanese designated player in MLS history, uh, is a uh, Japan national, for their does play on their national team. Um, signed from KAA Ghent, who is a Belgian team, also played on loan in Germany, uh, a guy that has 86 goals and 23 assists in 303 games. So uh, certainly a guy that can can help out a team that's kind of trying to build their team from last year into a full MLS roster. Josh, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I just I still like revel in the fact that uh, the Reds were the only team in Major League Baseball that never had a Japanese-born player. Uh, the Reds signed Japanese player in Shogo Akiyama, and then in the same week, uh, Yu Okubo uh, gets signed by FC Cincinnati, and we've got two Japanese sports stars in Cincinnati now. I think that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, but I'm I'm very excited for Yu Okubo. He's uh, definitely like a poaching type striker, uh, so you're not going to see like any like I'm not saying you're not going to, but it's unlikely that you'll see more like deep like rockets from him more so you'll see more tactical in the box um corners yeah, corners set and pieces and that's that i think it fits great with the style of play that fc cincinnati is looking to build that that uh dutch style of play the possession style of play i think could really bode well for him um so it's a great signing it's definitely interesting now with the rumors going around that uh FC Cincinnati put in a 2.5 million euro bid for uh, Gaston Piero. Um, that would be the that number 10 that FC Cincinnati has lacked pretty much forever. Um, that uh, Yeah, that creative guy that can kind of get into the box. For most of you that don't understand, the number 10 usually plays kind of behind the striker, kind of the guy to get the ball into the offensive zone, kind of create for your strikers or your wingers your, to be able to your score Your tactical goals. center attacking midfielder. Um, and, yeah, FC Cincinnati has lacked that greatly. Um, this is a huge uh, – I, I only bring this up just to show that, like, they are trying. This is a huge, huge poll because this is a guy that has interest from uh, La Liga in Spain, uh, Serie A in Italy – um, and he prefers to stay over there, but I mean, with this kind of a bid, 2.5 uh, million, um, if that could even get worked up, you're looking at possibly a record transfer deal in MLS. So I don't think it'll happen, but they're definitely trying. And I definitely think, you know, from going to record breaking type of last place last year, you're definitely looking upward for this coming year. To explain it to, um, I know a lot about soccer, but for those of those listening who don't, can you? I mean, is this um, is this being super aggressive? Is this unusual for like what you'd expect for from FC for Cincinnati? this ru- rumored bid? Well, for the just 2.5? what they did with um, yeah, it's, know, it's one of those things where uh, you know they're kind of a middling team and they're kind of trying to take themselves over the edge. It's one of those things 
Think about it like MLB when you don't have, uh, you know, you don't really have the salary cap. It's those guys kind of saying, hey, we're going to spend $50 million extra, mm. you know, mm. on our salary this year because we're going to try to be better. You know, one of those teams that, that kind of goes out like the I would hate to say the Marlins because that didn't turn out. But the one week that they, the one year that they tried to sign Pujols and they uh, signed yeah. Burley and you know Jose yeah. Reyes and everything. Not yeah, I mean for, for the Orange and Blue, it's like they have like plenty of depth defensively and things. The goal goalkeepers will get sorted out and everything. But for years, it's like a, it's like a baseball team that's had great pitching, you know, no hitting, in, in no hitting yeah. kind of, you know. Now yeah. I think you might finally they're really pushing hard to create some offense. Yeah, so they're trying, you know, they're trying to sign the. Uh, they're trying to sign the guy, the on-base guy, and then you know, kind of the power bat to to get some runs through. And it's interesting to see, you know, both of the Ohio teams were kind of disappointing last year, but with, uh, you know, Kubo being signed, and then uh, Zellerian from, uh, you know, from Liga MX that got signed um, for uh, like eight million dollars, will be good to see. You know, both Ohio teams kind of. Right. Move forward. So that was kind of FC Cincinnati's. Uh, they did uh, pick up uh, a uh, a young guy from. Uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on it now. But uh, for their super super draft, and then the Columbus Ray Ortiz crew, from Portland. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, the Ray Ortiz from Port Portland, and then the Columbus crew. They for their super draft pick, they got uh, San Diego's Miguel Br- uh, Barry. What the hell's yeah. a super who's, draft? Who's uh, who's uh, all American? Basically. For whatever reason, to, to explain this to someone that that doesn't really yes know, exactly um, basically for whatever reason they call it a super draft basically it's just college it's just a, it's draft. Just a college okay. entry okay. draft just, but the one and I know thing, there's like a regular draft and there's like and you probably won't see these guys draft. on the field for at least a couple years so I think the one thing is with I, maybe it's just to say to tell a difference in the last so many years there have been so many expansion drafts because they've been expanding that. The super draft's kind of a different, but it's one of those things that also kind of like uh, the NHL or like the MLB where they draft these guys and then they'll do what's called loaning. So they'll basically, you know, hey, for so much money, we'll let our top pick play for a guy in the USL or something like that to kind of be able to play because he's not good enough to be on the top team now, but, you know, play, get his skills together and then come back and play. So usually like... uh, even the top pick from FC Cincinnati last year, you know, went to uh, Charlotte or something mm-hmm. like that in the USL to kind of hone his skills. So not something that you'll really see, um, you know, too much of coming up. Other uh, quick crew news. Uh, the U.S. men's national team has a new general manager, uh, someone that Ohio is very familiar with, someone that everyone in uh, American soccer should be very familiar with, definitely an MLS uh, he uh, is Brian McBride. McBride. He's the, he is the new general manager of the United States men's national team. Mr. Uh, Crew himself. Yeah, Mr. Crew himself. Mr. Uh, Brian McBride was the first overall draft pick in MLS history. Um, in 1996, the Columbus Crew drafted uh, Brian McBride with the first overall pick in the inaugural MLS draft. That was 1996. McBride scored 62 goals and 161 appearances. Uh, for the crew over eight seasons, he also had 30 goals over 95 appearances with U.S. men's national team. Uh, so he will be the new general manager for the men's national team. They begin camp this week in Florida. They friendly coming up February 1st against Costa Rica. That'll be a midday game. 
Um, also, just to mention, kind of McBride, also a guy that has some international experience, like you said, playing for the U.S., also played for both Everton and Fulham in the Premier League. So not just a guy good enough to play in the U.S., a guy good enough to play at one of the top leagues in the world. So certainly has a worldly view of soccer, whether it be here or across the pond. Um, great hire by the men's national will team. Will be great. One of their few. Has a great you know, idea for talent. Um, yeah, the U.S. staying around here. There were some possibilities of them going to Qatar for some friendlies against uh, Red Bull Salzburg and whatnot, but with some of the unrest in that part of the world uh have kind of put that off for now but certainly with a team that's trying to put their best foot forward to uh you know make it to that 2022 world cup after the embarrassment that was please 2018 good to see him coming through uh former crew head coach greg berhalter uh at the helm there and then former crew star uh brian mcbride leading so a lot of crew influence on that team Hopefully that leads to some success for the crew. All right, well, wrapping up with the news, we go from, uh, actually we stay in Columbus and go from soccer to hockey. Zach's two favorite sports. Red line, blue line, red line, blue line. Icing. Uh, uh, The Blue Jackets uh, just finished up a West Coast trip. They finished up uh, three and one on the trip. Started off with wins in Los Angeles and Anaheim, uh, 4-2 and 4-3. A uh, tough loss at San Jose on Thursday, and then a 3 to nothing win in Las Vegas on Saturday. Obviously very difficult to play in Las Vegas because uh, you get the Las Vegas flu when you go out there. <laughs> uh, interesting story from that 3-0 win in Las Vegas. First career shutout for uh, Elvis Merzlikens. He was kind of doing the... Uh, Instead of someone doing an Elvis impersonation, he was doing the Marc-Andre Fleury impersonation. 27 saves. Uh, first career shutout. Even did the little bit of the guitar celebration afterwards. So uh, certainly good for him. Uh, the Jackets have now um, taken points in 15 of their last 17 games. Uh, both games that they lost in regulation to San Jose, who they don't play anymore this year. And they're currently tied with Philly for the second wild card spot with 52 points. Jackets look like a team after losing so many players in free agency after starting off so slow. Looked like a team that was going to sell off at the trade deadline, wasn't going to sniff the playoffs, but now they're in the second wild card spot. Josh, do you think this is something that can continue? Um, in in theory, yeah, because it, like that's what's strange to me is like in theory it should it should all work out just fine because you're going if anything you'd be gaining players with uh, with you you got 10 guys injured right now so you know in theory the healthier you get the better you get i don't know um so i i don't i would not be surprised if the blue jackets hung in there for the final playoff spot i don't think they make it out of the first round of the playoffs though but i mean but i think that'd be a huge accomplishment with what you were the cards you were dealt at the beginning of the season yeah and if you look at you know them last year I mean, they finished off last year when they went for it as one of the wild card teams. Had to play the top team in the league, or yeah, in the league, and beat them, you know, in a sweep. So anything's possible once you get in. But certainly a good step in the right direction. One of the things that you are you all right, guy? Yeah, are you all right? You're like <laughs> slowly dying over I'm here. I'm slowly dying over here. Uh, all these Ohio sports are killing me from the inside. Apparently. Um, 
But the one thing to notice about the jackets, a lot of young guys could be a thought of hungry dogs run faster. These young guys want to stay up. They don't want to go back to Cleveland. They want to be in the jackets plans for the future. So it's a lot of these young guys, you know, Garbakov and whatnot, really working their butts off to try to stay on this team. So we'll be interesting. We'll keep you updated. Uh, you know, Zach will be sitting center ice pretty oh, much every game. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'll, to I'll watch the Jackets. Fill you guys in. Uh, fill it, filling us in, uh, you know, was on the edge of his seat for that entire game in Vegas. You have no idea. <laughs> Last night. All right, that wraps up our Ohio sports as we move into some segments. I think it's a segment, right? Well, a it's much more than just a segment. That's it's true. a segment. It's gluttony. So, as we mentioned in our Ohio news, we had the Cavs beat Denver 111-103. Um, in 2011, there was a challenge started called the hashtag me vs. Nuggets challenge in Cleveland, and it was basically when the Cavs play the Nuggets, the goal is to try to eat more Nuggets than the Nuggets score points. Um, there were two attempts last night uh, by at Reflog, the guy who started mm. the uh, Browns winless uh, parade around Cleveland, and then uh, a buddy of his name, Sir Yacht. Both of them failed. Sir Yacht was actually able to get to 90 Nuggets, but... Uh, Whoa ended up kind of uh, losing his way after that. Um, winners of this include uh, at Mind of Quinn and at I am Blake Lopez one. Uh, Mind of Quinn, known as Joe Quinn, uh, actually won last year uh, in a 113-108 win by the Cavs over the Nuggets. Joe finished with 111 Nuggets, which is an Jesus. unbelievable uh, feat. That's Diabetes. Dis that's disgusting. Think that about disgusting. it from tip to end of the game, so roughly about two and a half hours. Yeah. Have to eat more than 108 nuggets. Uh, for those of you that might have been following uh, at 30 Rack Podcast uh, on Facebook and Twitter, saw that uh, probably the best of the podcast, myself, at It's Grog Muller, did a first quarter test, ended up beating the nuggets in the first quarter, 30 to 18, actually ate as much nuggets as the nuggets scored points for about a quarter and a half. Do not think I could keep it up for a whole game. Guys, what are your thoughts on this amazing, There's, fantastic challenge? The Cavs tweeted out that the, the nuggets only needed a 20, had less than a 20 piece in the first game, the first quarter <laughs> though. So you, 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 I think uh, yeah. you got some easy competition oh, they're, there. They're leaning, night. they leaned right into uh, it. First of time. all, I'm disappointed that you're such a quitter. Greg, and didn't even go balls to the There's walls. There's still another game one. in March. Okay, Dude, well, just go get your stomach pumped Just go pump get yourself, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Um, I need you guys to buy me some nugs. Are I you a real fan? I feel uncomfortable know? buying a hundred Is there nugs. anything more American than how much food can I stuff in my fat fucking face for two and a half hours and see, you know, while watching sports? There's nothing more American than that, so I'm all for it. That is very American. That's that's fun times in Cleveland again. But uh, I mean, <laughs> gotta eat your sorrows. We were gonna we were gonna discuss like which uh, Ohio sports figure could actually pull this off, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. But before we do that, the next Cavs Nuggets game is actually March seventh of this year. Cavs at Nuggets, seven thirty p.m. 
I mean, what uh, is that, Mark? What is March? It's though? a Saturday. Ooh, a Saturday. Guys, any interest in me? Uh, I'll tell you what. We're going to order 300 chicken nuggets, <laughs> and the three of us will sit here. We'll live stream it, who, and we'll see who wins. This is pure bragging rights. Pure bragging rights. The winner gets to pick the beer for a month straight. All right, I'm in. All right. Josh, you in? Yeah, I'm in. Okay. All right. Me versus Nuggets, 30 Rack of Sports. See us on March I will not eat for a whole week. Seven. Yeah, I'll have to figure out how to... Uh, there have been some rumblings that for the March edition, um, world record holder in the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Championship, oh, Joey, Joey Chestnut, Chestnut, might be involved in the competition. Ooh. So will be interesting. Uh, keep up with us at uh, 30 Rack Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. But to go to the segment that you alluded to, me versus Nuggets probably have to eat between 100 and 120 nuggets. Coming from Ohio sports, my first thought was which Cavs player, but I think even expanding it to all of Ohio sports, Zach, which Ohio sports athlete do you think would have the best shot to win Uh, this challenge? Mr. Pancake himself, Orlando Pace. No, nobody. That would be number one. I think an offensive line's got to be one. He's a big man. Big man. I mean, I I would... yeah, no doubt. I'd put a million dollars on that. Um, it, it has to be an athlete, or just it, anybody. Find anybody. I thought it was. I thought it was an Ohio sports figure because I was going to go that dude yeah. from uh, that Cleveland Browns dude from Hard Knocks. Oh, uh, um, Bob Wiley. Yes, yes. I was going to go with Bob Wiley. <laughs> you could go with Bob Wiley. That's fine. That's Ohio sports. I yeah. can definitely fit a hundred nuggets in there. Go for it. So, were well, you going to feed them to him? Sure. Yeah. You said I could. Yeah, fit Yeah. Sure. Nuggets. I'll help the I, guy out. I would pay to see that. I would, I, I would love to. You know what? Hey, someone get his contact info. Get him down here. I'll go up there. We'll just have I'll him lay on nuggets. Greg's couch, and you'll just slowly, yeah, sure. just slowly open your mouth and yeah. just drop them in. Yep. So uh, I'm gonna Very go. With, I'm gonna go again with a with a lineman. Not to say if I had to pick probably someone on the Cavs, it would probably be Ante Zizic. He's probably the biggest one, but I don't think really any of them would have too much of a chance. Um, tractor trailer, uh, Robert Trailer, oh, R.I.P. But yeah. he's a guy that could certainly have an opportunity to use a Cav in the early 2000s. But if I had to go with a current sports. Uh, person in Ohio. I would actually go to Cincinnati and the Bengals. Defensive tackle for the Bengals, Andrew Billings, weighs in at 311 pounds. There is Billings no league. way that guy is only 311 pounds. Guy is a big boy, probably big 340, boy. probably eats 110 nuggets before a game anyways. I think it would just be a small meal for him. He'd probably want some fries with it too. Dude is a massive I mean, human Orlando being. Pace was 325. So uh, be sure to tweet us at 30 Rack Podcast uh, on Facebook and Twitter. First off, who do you think would be the uh, best challenger for the Me vs. Nuggets Challenge out of Ohio sports? And two, do you think the three of us should do the Me vs. Nuggets Challenge Saturday, March 7th? Would you watch that live stream? Because we'll I live stream the whole entire thing, but funny stuff. Just the fourth quarter while One of we're us vomiting and oh gosh, whatnot. yeah, we're gonna need. I'm gonna need to buy some more trash cans. Get for some that. buckets. Alrighty, um, moving back. Before we start our national segment, we're gonna need another beer. Uh, still thinking about Kevin Stefanski, how that's gonna work out for the Browns. Uh, 
As mentioned by Josh, we are drinking the Sonder Kato Coffee Kolsch, or Coffee Kelsch, as I alluded to earlier in the show. Uh, moving on to any beer news, uh, Josh, what are we looking at for beer news? Uh, beer news this week uh, comes to us from, uh, I did mention this before, um, where uh, we get our most, usually, not always, but we usually get our uh, Ohio beer news from ohiocraftbeer.org. That's the Ohio Craft Brewers Association website. Um, and they're changing up how they do their uh, their news blogs thing. And now where it'll just, where it was like kind of a bunch of things throughout Ohio. Now it's focusing on like one thing more in depth. Um and that thing this week is a beer that has a brewery that has been on our show already uh, from Athens, Ohio. Jackie O's oh, turns Jackie Bros. 14. Turns 14. Oh, wow. 14 wow. years old. Um, Big fan of the Raz Oh, yeah. So they're one of our, uh, one of the older brewer, craft breweries in Ohio, um, now at 14. And it's crazy to see, you know, we're at 328 independently owned breweries in Ohio right now. Um, wow, we haven't made a dent yet. There were only just over 100 in 2014. Um, so wow. Jackie O's, they're uh, 14 years old. Um, they are doing a, uh, obviously having a big anniversary party, and they were doing um, four variants of their popular dark apparition Russian Imperial Stout. That one will so knock you on your butt. It will knock you on your butt. Um, there is also uh, two barrel-aged saisons. Um, that are being released as a anniversary bottle thing. So if you're out in the Jackie O's world down there in the Athens, Southeast Ohio Southeast. Bill, um, awesome stuff. And congrats to Jackie O's on 14 years of exquisite beers. Uh, also coming up next week, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Jungle Jim's doing their barrel aged mm. beer bash. Oh yes. Uh, Always a fun time to go through. You get a little blast. You get to try out all the barrel-aged beer. It's not just, you know, stouts and everything else. It's barrel-aged everything. There's some great beers. There's some terrible beers. But so many Ohio beers and so much beer to try. So um, uh, I do want to say real quick, because I was going to read uh, what Sonder means. Uh, Sonder is the realization that each person has a unique story. That's at the top of each can. And then this is also at the top of each can. Oh, wow. Listen to the Sonder Stories podcast. So our uh, yeah. our first first brewery that has a, a, a podcast we're aware calling of. this out uh, yeah. that we're aware of it's on the can. So uh, this is very good, by the way. We haven't yeah, really like mentioned really how we taste it. I was going to mention good. it before I moved in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out for first off Sonder, uh, new brewery. Uh, you know, one of the guys that worked at one of the local uh, liquor stores in the area. He was a uh, sommelier in. Uh, in one of the liquor stores, ended up starting his own brewery that is Sonder. It's uh, just off 71, uh, right near like the new Innovation Way exit. Is that and, a tap uh, house? Right behind the they have a, a tap, they have a tap I mean. house. Yeah, they have a tap room. They have uh, they have a nice little uh, you know rented out area that uh, serves food. Oh, nice! Some very good food. Chicken. Amazing. Uh, really? They had an Oktoberfest there earlier, which was great. Certainly worth trying out. And yeah, just to. Big plans for expansion, too. Get some yeah, thoughts on the beer. That's really good. I'd never heard of it, honestly, before. Uh, I was kind of worried when I saw, you know, the coffee with kind of the lighter beer. I was worried that either the coffee mm. was going to come up, you know, too far over, going to taste like a stout. But it's nice and light, but mm -hmm. it still has the it same is, coffee taste that you yeah. expect. Yeah, so yeah. certainly good. Uh, you know, I've had a number of Sonder beers have been there with it being, you know, so close. Um, most of the beers that I've tried there have been 
fantastic. The other ones have been really good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, have not had a bad beer there yet. Uh, a lot of their sour beers are good. Have some interesting, you know, stouts. I've had like some, you know, they've like got like a milkshake, milkshake variety stouts, that they do, yeah. which are weird, not quite my style, but still pretty good. So, if you're in the area, if you just want to stop by for for a beer or two, certainly worth trying out. If you're in Southwest Ohio, I know it's a little bit north of the city, but really great brewery, great food. Uh, you love their chicken. I think their mac and cheese is also really good. Certainly worth a try. Alrighty, as we move on. To national news, we're going to start off, obviously, with us recording on Sunday. We're not going to get all of it, but did have some wild card weekend, and certainly was it a wild weekend for, I'm sorry, the divisional weekend, not the wild card weekend. Oof. But uh, certainly a wild weekend. Oh, I put a wild card weekend. weekend down. Who put that on the uh, beach? That, I, that was, I think that was Jeez. a typo. Oh, no. Yeah, it was. It was. Typo by our producer, Josh. What an unbelievable mistake by him. Uh, but to start off with some of the Saturday games, <laughs> in the Saturday afternoon game, uh, the 49ers ended up clobbering the Vikings 27-10, to um, outscored the Vikings 13 to nothing in the second half. Uh, not exactly a passing display by either quarterback. Uh, both quarterbacks had a touchdown and an interception. Jimmy G with 131 yards. Cousins with 172 yards, but uh, San Francisco able to get things done on the ground, 105 yards rushing. Also, um, a muff punt by Minnesota kind of did them in, but really the big change in the game was 14-10 at halftime. Uh, San Francisco got the ball to start the second half, uh, got a field goal. Minnesota threw an interception almost right away, and then San Francisco scored another touchdown to go up 24-10, which effectively ended the game for them um kind of thought minnesota was was a scrappy team uh maybe a team that could keep their way you know in this game but you <laughs> certainly saw the defensive talent of san francisco oh yeah kind of show their way through with a, with a big defensive performance you know picked by richard sherman mm -hmm. uh you know and basically not allowing the vikings to move the ball at all i think they only had like seven first downs in the whole game oh yeah it's um I mean, I've seen it firsthand. Probably that, that's a dominant defense. Debo's no one wants to play. Um, I, you know, I don't know, though. I still, again, if you're a Browns fan, I don't know. I still would have been too impressed with the game plan there um, for the Vikings as far as that goes. But um, over, I, underwhelming game. I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought. I saw yeah, it was, it, was kind of, it was kind of a boring game. And yeah. I, I guess the other question that I'll have going to uh, you, Josh, is – I mean, do you trust the 49ers coming in here? Because Jimmy G, only 131 yards passing, obviously able to get a couple breaks based on Kirk Cousins and the muff punt. But when you start to face some of these, you know, more together teams, obviously the uh, Seahawks-Packers game hasn't happened yet, facing either one of those two quarterbacks, which aren't going to really screw themselves over, or a talented quarterback in the uh, Super Bowl, do you think the 49ers have what it takes to go all the way? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I think their offense is falling a little flat. Now, there have been weeks where their offense is, I think, one of the best in the NFL. But too many times, I think we've seen it fall flat on its face mm -hmm. um, like we did the other day. Um, however, 
that defense is freaking amazing. Like that that defense is well, one of the best defenses I have seen in recent years. As Trent Dilfer, do you really need an offense to win a Super Bowl? Exactly. So, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I will say, I will oh. say that, like, regardless of Seahawks or Packers, I think that either is a difficult matchup for them. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I, I don't think that better, if you're asking me, do I think the Fort San Francisco 49ers will win the Super Bowl? Mm. My answer is no. Mm. Um, do I think the San Francisco 49ers make it to the Super Bowl? Maybe. I'm yeah. even not super confident in that. But if that defense can hold in and you get like mm. one or two more to really two more. Good, right. good performances from your offense. I think you'll be, and I, I'm just saying good. Like it doesn't need to be. That hasn't amazing. been a good one yeah. in my opinion. I mean, I think I get to the Josh's point is the defense is good enough. I just think in the playoffs, even, at some point, you still have to be more able to score often points. than not. There's gonna be one game where you're gonna need that quarterback to step up and make some play. Like more than a, I mean, who's efficient? Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know. Uh, we're, yeah, he was 11 for 19. Yeah. So I mean, somewhat efficient. I just. Very, 131 yards isn't going to get it done unless you have a Derrick Henry, someone like that, in my opinion. We'll get to that, and I think they they're one of those teams, and I think we'll see it with the Ravens as we as we talk about the second game. But they're not. I don't think they're a team that can play from behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jimmy G had 131 yards and a touchdown and an interception, but about 60 of those, so close to half. I think 55 to 60 of those yards, almost half. And a touchdown. We're on the first drive, which is all scripted plays. Right, right. So once they got past there, you know, he was five for six. So he was not great for the rest of the game. And obviously they could just, you know, they ran Coleman a bunch. He had 22 rushes. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if they're a team that, you know, Garoppolo can make those plays. Because he seemed like a guy that's been very comfortable during the, the scripted plays. The, you know, mm -hmm. the first, usually coaches script the first 10 to 15 or so yeah. plays. So it would be interesting when they get behind to see if they can, you know, um, really rely on Jimmy G to get him back in the game. Uh, moving over to the late game in the AFC, big upset. Uh, the other 1-6 uh, game, Tennessee upsets Baltimore 28-12 to to go to the AFC championship game. Uh, Tennessee is the third six seed ever to beat a 14-plus win one seed. Uh, the other two were the 2005 uh, Pittsburgh Steelers over the Colts, who ended up winning the Super Bowl, and then the 2010 New York Giants over New England. Uh, Tannehill, not a great game, but, you know, basically did what he needed to. 7 for 14, 88 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns. Besides but the touchdowns, I feel like that would be, like, stats that I could go run out there. Derrick Henry, 30 rushes, 195 yards, and a touchdown pass on a little jump pass there. Um Lamar Jackson basically trying to do it all for Jeez. Baltimore. Thirty-one for fifty-five or for fifty-nine, three hundred and sixty-five yards, a touchdown, two picks, and then twenty rushes, one hundred and forty-three yards <laughs> with a fumble lost. So seventy-nine plays he was involved in. I mean, just a crazy game for both teams. Um, kind of the tail of the tape. Uh, obviously, Tennessee two hundred and seventeen yards rushing. Tannehill hasn't really had to do too much. Only 160 passing yards in both in both playoff games combined, but that rushing attack has been stout. Dominant, scary, honestly. I mean, he's a big dude. Uh, he's a frightening fellow when he gets four yards, you know, going. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, as soon as I saw the, uh, 
mean, you put if your quarterback's putting the ball up sixty times, uh, you don't normally win those games. You know, I mean, that's usually I think like you point out when we talked about before the show, um, Greg. You know, you got behind early, and now you're you're throwing it up when you see a guy throwing it up that much, and. The turnovers, and I think it shows that in today still, even with the dynamic talent as Lamar Jackson is, got to have some balance. Got to have some other guys be able to pick up the slack. Yeah, and, and you know, Ingram was, was suffering with, uh, you know, the calf injury. Only had six runs for 22 yards. But I think the big thing, the, the two big kind of points of this game, one in the first and third quarters, so kind of, you know, Going into the game and the adjustments, um, Tennessee outscored Baltimore 21 to nothing, and Baltimore had two interceptions, a fumble, and two turnovers on downs in those quarters. The other thing was, as we mentioned earlier, being able to get back into the games. You know, Baltimore has trailed by, going into that game, Baltimore had trailed by uh, 10 points in only two games that year. They were 0 2 in those games. Mm-hmm. So when they get down, they're, you know, unless Marquise Brown can get behind you or one of their quick wide receivers can get behind you, they're not really a team that's going to kill you. They're going to go to their tight ends. They're mm-hmm. going to run the ball. They're going to try to get you down. They had six drives of 10-plus plays. And in those uh, drives, they had uh, they went field goal, field goal, turnover on downs, touchdown, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. So only 12 points in six drives of 10-plus plays. So that's mm-hmm. taking a lot of time off the clock and not really getting a whole lot of a whole lot out of it. And the last point is Tennessee was able to, you know, bend but don't break. They were they made sure that Baltimore could not finish those drives. And then also Baltimore was 8 for 8 with fourth and less were fourth and a yard or less. So fourth and one or fourth and inches. In that game they were 0 and 2. Both sneaks by Lamar basically got nothing. I think he went backwards on one of the plays. Mm -hmm. So huge job by Mike Vrabel and that Tennessee defense to be able to keep everything underneath, make them have to earn every yard, and then, you know, basically do the old Jim Trestle bend but don't break. Well, and it it can be effective when you have smart players on the defensive side who understand their assignments because what you're doing is nickel and diamond. What happens is you're you're forcing them to make more plays, you know, so what that's going to do, that, that, that creates these situations where eventually you're going to have a turnover or could have a turnover, you know, a bad throw, a bad play. The more plays you force a team to run, the more times they have to be perfect, in my opinion. So it's been effective for them. Yeah, the, Ra- the Ravens had uh, seven drives that ended at the Titans 31 or closer. Um, and they had eight, the eight drives that ended at the Titans 36, Titans 31, the Titans 4, 18, 31, 15, 16, and the Titans 21-yard line, and they only finished with 12 points. And the other thing is, uh, I believe the Titans only had two drives of more than 31 yards. One was a one-play, like, f- uh, 40-something-yard drive, which was a long pass by Tannehill. The other one was a long drive, but it was like a 60-yard run by Derrick Henry in there. So that's one of the things that kind of, um, you know, they were able to get the ball in good positions and score off of it. The other thing that, uh, you know, was kind of brought up, which was an interesting point, uh, you know, the Ravens kind of looked up and down all game, a number of drops. Uh, Lamar had, you know, three turnovers, Mm -hmm. which is very unlike him. It comes back to the question, the age-old question in, you know, NFL football, when you're the one seed and you lock it up early and you get the week off, rest versus rust. 
Now, Baltimore did not play a lot of their starters in the Week 17 game against Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Obviously got the week off, so it had been, you know, three weeks since they had played their last meaningful game. Mm-hmm. And they looked a little bit rusty there. It's a question yeah. of, you know, what do you do in that situation, Zach? Oh, I... You don't want to get people injured, but you also want to make sure they're ready to go, you know. Right. That that's uh I think that's the hardest question, isn't it? What are you gonna do? I know some coaches are big on, you know, that bye week giving guys some rest, giving some guys time to heal up and you know, kinda of do more walkthroughs and you've heard some coaches say, No, regular practice, you know, we put them through a regular game week. Uh maybe even even up it a little bit, maybe some more scrimmaging, kinda of more physical. Um I think it's knowing your team is a big part of that. I think maybe with this Ravens team, who's maybe a little on the younger side of what we're normally seeing from the Ravens, might have been yeah, a little Yeah, get him a little better, bit more focused. A little more better to have him put him through a whole game week. But I think that's the hardest thing being a coach, and we can sit here and say that. But what if uh, they did that and Lamar rolled his ankle? It was out. Yeah, or so, you know, yeah Lamar rolled his ankle or, yeah. or, you know, Ingram hurt his calf more. I think as a coach... You don't always want to play it safe, but I think in these kind of situations, I don't necessarily have an issue with John Harbaugh playing it safe and saying, let's get some guys healthy, let's let's focus on the, you know, kind of more X's and O's and just get everybody a rest. Yeah, I think that that's really important. And um, I guess to just go to the other two games, uh, obviously for most of this, you will um, you will already be – uh, you know, you already know what the scores of these last two games are by the time we put out the podcast. But just real quick, Zach, mm. who do you think wins the games today? Uh, I got Kansas City and Green Bay. Josh? Uh, I've got Houston and Green Bay. Kansas City and Seattle. You traitor. <laughs> traitor. All righty. Um, moving on to... Uh, just quickly touching on the national championship game. We've kind of beaten it into the ground, so we're just going to touch quickly on it. Obviously, big for the bull pick Josh versus I. I have uh, Clemson. Josh has LSU. But we're just going to mention some quick keys to the game. Uh, Zach, what do you think the keys to the game are for either team? Um, so I was thinking, sorry, Josh is distracting people. Um, no, I... I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to watch the damn game. I'm still upset. I'm still upset. But um, honestly, I'm going to switch. I know I've been saying Clemson. I'm going to go LSU, just some things I've been hearing um, from supposed LSU staffers basically saying if you watch the All-22 film, which for those who don't know, that's the non-game cast. That's the film the teams watch where you get to see the All-22, All-22 players at the You're same basically time. Be- behind the quarterback with yeah. a really wide angle to kind of and see how everybody's moving. From what they've heard from staffers is, one, they're shocked Ohio State lost that game, and two, they're like, I mean, they basically said Clemson can't cover receivers, high State receivers running free all game, and their, def- you know, and their receivers couldn't get any separation. So the confidence level of that, I'm feeling like from LSU, who sounds like like they were at Oklahoma, I'm going LSU. And I think the keys are going to be keep Burrow clean. He, if, he, if he has a pocket on my, they're gonna, they can put up that's exactly 60 why points, I think, I think. That's exactly why I think LSU is going to win is because I, I think LSU's – I think Clemson's defense is extremely overrated. Um, and, yeah, I just feel like Burrow's going to have a clean pocket, and that man in a clean pocket is going to shred you. Right. Um, so 
that man will shred you. I'm not gonna say it's gonna be a blowout. I think it's gonna oh, be. I'm I think it's gonna saying. be super. I think it's gonna be super fun. I think it's gonna be a really high scoring shootout of a game, and I I personally can't wait for it. Uh, I just can't. I'm still. I can't get over it. Of course, having Clemson, I'm gonna go with Clemson. I think my big keys to the game is obviously Clemson's played some inferior competition, but uh, they do only give up 10 points a game and they have shown a defense that can stop people. I think people are a little bit too high on LSU because they were able to shred a Big 12 defense. I mean, I agree. I think at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, those ACC defenses LSU is tough, not going to LSU is not going to be able to get the stops that they need. They give up too they've given up a ton of points to some bad offenses in Arkansas, still gave up, you know, almost 30 points to Oklahoma, they've given up points to an Ole Miss offense which is bad. You know, gave up 38 points to Texas, and I think it'll be one of those games where both teams will be able to go up and down the field, and one team will need to stop. And if though you may trust Burrow, I think both quarterbacks are really good. I trust the Clemson defense, and I trust Brett Venables more than I trust the LSU offense. Also, Clemson's been there I don't before. Know. Clemson knows what they're doing. That's true. They've been That's very fair. prepared. If you watch last year's national championship. Everybody was thinking Alabama, and they came up, and they punched Alabama in the mouth right away. I'm taking Clemson, but I still think it's high-scoring and close. I take Clemson 35-31. Ohio State lost this. They should still be now. They, oh they would goodness. have this wrapped up if they were playing LSU. Jesus. Fucking pissed still. Get over Alrighty. it. Alrighty. No, I'll never I got over it. it. Get over oh, it. Oh, that's different. Well, now that we're uh, nice and riled up, we, of course— have our issues with the world of sports, Ohio sports, the world of sports. As we start our last part of the show, we're jeering, we're grumbling, we're zinging. We're going to start off with Zach since he's the most fired up. Zach, who are you zinging today? Uh, thank you, Greggy. Uh, what? Uh, I thought I, I thought we were going to do a, our uh, mid-season Final Four. Picks. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to touch on those real quick. Oh, we're going to do our mid-season Final Four picks. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I yeah. thought I thought we were doing our Final Four. Wow, no, I'm, no, I'm no, skipping ahead here. Josh is trying to change the uh, outlook of the show, so we're We've actually going to take a step back. Long, I cut one thing. It was not this thing. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Josh is trying to cut up the entire show. doesn't like to listen to us talk. Well, it's because we were, we were talking, we've been talking before the show the past couple weeks about how, and in the show a little last week, about how you go down the college basketball AP top mm. 25, and you're like, okay, yeah, this team's been in, like, there's no team that you're like, okay. This team's going to make a run in March. Oh, yeah. There are very few teams where you can have a continence in in, ba- in college basketball I think there's right none. now. Yeah, and to just look at it right now, uh, top 25 teams in action right now. Uh, Michigan State loses to Purdue by almost 30. <laughs> Number 19, Michigan is about to lose to Michigan, or is about to lose to Minnesota on the road. Um, and Wichita State's in a double overtime game against UConn in uh, Connecticut. So it's one of those things. Who's going to be there at the end? Who's even going to get into the tournament? We're going to do our mid-season Final Four picks as this thing starts to roll in the conference play. We'll start off with you, Zach. Zach, who are your four teams that you see uh, kind of figuring Um, it out? After hours of research and watching film, that's not true. But um, I'm going to stick with Ohio State. Two weeks ago, I made a bold prediction. I'm a man of my word. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I'm going to go Ohio State. Uh, then I'm going to go Kansas just because it's Kansas and they always seem to get like a favorable, you know, there's no team I can think of who always gets like the most favorable, um, 
I'll let you know when you get over to me. But I have regional. One. Sorry, I have one. who gets a more favorable region than Kansas? They'll be there somehow. Um, Auburn just seems like a sexy pick to me, even though they haven't really played anybody. Yeah, undefeated and, though. One to two. They undefeated are undefeated, teams. so that they should get something for that. And then uh, I like Mark Few and Gonzaga. All right, Josh, kicking over to you. Um, I think Gonzaga gets bounced uh, pretty quickly. Whoa. Uh, Hot take. Uh, yeah, Gonzaga's just, I've never, be it as it may, that Thinking they have Thinking of like scores. 2012 Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah. They have plenty of scores. Uh, they're one of the hottest offenses out there right now. Um, but I don't really, you know, I don't think they play anyone, really. Whoa. I mean, dude, when you compare, when you you compare you to some of these strength of schedules the out there, um, I will I will knock it. Um, my final four, midseason final four, uh, in no particular order, is Duke, Kansas, Butler, and oh. Zach's not going to like this. Uh, well, and this could be dead in the water after today. Uh, Michigan State. Um, <laughs> I, I like where Michigan State's at. Uh, really, right this second, you not, like where not they're right sitting. now, not right this second, as their dad. There's they're getting murdered by Purdue. They're getting painted by. Coming into this Purdue. game, though, they, they were, already got murdered. It's over. They, it's over. they were uh, number one offense uh, in Ken Palm, so I like them. Uh, Duke, uh, I feel like Duke, Coach K can get Duke there. I know Duke slipped a couple times this year. This I think feels Kentucky, like a Duke team is going to lose to, like, 15 Belmont. That's exactly what I was <laughs> about to say. Belmont. They're a team that's going to finish off as a, four, as a three seed, lose to Mercer or God yeah. knows who what. My dark Lehigh. Lehigh. My dark horses, uh, I'll give you three dark horses for my final four, are Baylor, Dayton, and West Virginia. Ooh, ooh. Josh coming in with some extra picks. All right. Um, stop ruining my segment with your extra picks. For my final four, I agree with both of you guys on one pick. I have the Zags, Mark Few, finally getting over the hump. I didn't I have think the Zags. didn't have the Zags. That, I'm pointing at Zach oh. with the Zags. Okay. Able to kind of figure it out on uh, offense. Able to figure out about getting over the hump. They've been a team that's been right around the Final Four for a number of years. Good offense. I can see them getting there. With Josh, I have the Butler Bulldogs. They were a team that was not expected to do a whole lot, but they have been a great team. Have had balanced scoring. Able to find it from all over the floor. A great defense, uh, too. Good Mm -hmm. defense. And have just been able to get it done. Um, as much as it pains me to say this, because I really don't want to see them anywhere near the Final Four, I have Kentucky. They were yeah. a crap team early, and they're starting to figure it out under Cal. And it's one of those years that I see them flying in as like a four seed and making it to the Final Four. Like yeah. the year that they were an eight seed and they made it to the championship. Uh, they beat Ohio that they State. Got, that was Ohio State's best shot. They, they uh, kind of just figured it out at the end. I was very upset. And then uh, my last pick... A team with that can score, a team with an older team that can get it done, a team with an NBA lottery pick that can lead them. I'm going with our friends less than an hour north uh, of here. Dayton. I'm going with the Dayton Flyers. I Obi like Toppin goes like off, it. has scoring all over the place, good defense, have an older team and have a star player, have the two things that you need yeah, to be no, very successful No, I thought about them. They're right there. They're right on so, the top uh, of the noggin. Certainly will be interesting to see. We'll keep track of all those teams. Uh, this is probably the first year that I wouldn't put UC in my final four. Just uh, Still not need to really see a for anything. More. Just just to make myself feel better. But even I can't even put th- even yeah. I can't put them there right now. So maybe in a couple weeks. 
All right, so um, I'm gonna have to check with our producer, Josh. Uh, yeah, we're going can, to yeah, this can, segment now. We're not skipping any more segments. Josh just always jumps around. Josh is jumping I, around. I feel like I made it pretty clear. Uh, you guys <laughs> just don't know your abbreviations for major American Oh, uh, I knew exactly what you were talking about. I figured you wanted to start skipping everything at this point. So I was just about to end the show. So you're glad I, I, I didn't quite do that. So uh, as I alluded to earlier, Ohio sports and the national sports pisses us off. UC losing, Ohio State going 0-4. Uh, We're always upset. Josh is fired, or uh, Zach's fired up still about Ohio State's Fiesta Bowl <laughs> loss. I'm still mad. But I get more mad by the week. Honestly. We're gonna fit. We're gonna finish up. I feel like they would have whooped LSU. Segment. They would have whooped us. Sorry. With Zach Zingers. Zach, Zach right. are you zinging Clemson or are you finding something else? To say? Uh, no, no, I'm not gonna say zing Clemson. I'm gonna zing Dabo. Uh, it's kind of a small thing, but it just really riled me up earlier this week while I was at lunch. Uh, <laughs> on my break at work, I saw this come over with Dabo complaining about basically saying the title game might as well be played in Baton Rouge. It's unfair that we have to play in New Orleans. And it's like, dude, get over it. But everybody's known for how, when did they announce? These are like two years out. Everybody's yeah. known the national title was going to be in New Orleans. You were, no one heard about this. Um, Honestly, he's just mad that Clemson fans don't travel. He was he was upset after the Fiesta Bowl game when it was pretty much scarlet and gray and the little sliver of uh, orange and purple. When I was there in the Fiesta Bowl when they played Clemson, the same thing. You shouldn't be mad about where you're playing. I guarantee if this was an LSU-Ohio State game, it would be half and half. He's just mad because Clemson fans don't travel, which is whatever. But, dude, get over it. Do your job. And the other thing is, for most of these... The ticket allocations are almost 50-50. Yeah. It's, it's only an eight-hour drive. It's not like they have to go across the country for, like, the Fiesta Bowl. Right. It's not like they're playing, you know, USC in the Rose Bowl. No, that's my point. It's, Welcome to what Big Ten teams deal with year yeah, after year, except for Ohio State. I mean, I'll give Ohio State that they always travel. But but even then, their yeah. te- fans still have to travel, you know, mm-hmm. across country. So it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, look— these ticket prices are going to be high. It's not like it's not like it's the 1940s where you can't get across the, you know, yeah, the country that quick. It's like whatever. you have to take the train. Get it done. Get your fans there. Yeah, that's what that's I mean. That's really on you more than that's anything else. It, I just he just whines, and I could wrap my head around the Ohio before the Ohio State game, trying to give an edge to his team, even though no one discounted them. But this is Most, just they were favorites. This is just no reason. I don't get it. It's just Dabo, shut the hell up and just coach. Alrighty, Josh, who are you jeering this week? Uh, this week I am jeering one of uh, Ohio's biggest critics. Um, this guy can never let Ohio like out of his mind for some reason. And he's Baker always, Mayfield. He's always, yeah, he's always on Baker Mayfield, which, fair, a little bit. Hey, um, you sure up. hates the mid. Uh, yeah, he sure doesn't like Ohio sports. Um, I am talking about uh, former ESPN pundit, now Fox Sports pundit. Uh, I don't even know where to find him on the radio. Leader, leader of the herd, Colin Coward. Um, Colin Coward is oh, and first off, I, I just have never been a big fan of Colin. I Coward. actually like his and show. I do, and like he's it, not, and he's not a big of fan of Ohio sports. No, he's uh, not. I respect it, but uh, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Uh, but when your opinion has been wrong for three straight weeks, that's when things get interesting. Colin Coward is 0-10 uh, <laughs> over the last three weeks for his, whatever he calls it, uh, the heater, the yeah, five, the blazing five, 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 or whatever. Five, yeah. Is that good? 
Uh, 0, for, 0 for 10 <laughs> is pretty bad. Uh, that's, oh, okay. just, that's just NFL picks, and I guess there was technically one push in there um, because he did take the spread for a San Francisco game two weeks out. ago. That was an out. Yeah, that's an out. Um, so, whatever. Oh, sorry, um, 9 and 1. That's a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always just find it weird when uh, national pundits or, uh, I'm doing air quotes, experts uh, yeah. go that badly. Uh, like They I, always do that. See, but the thing is, Coward has been so bad that on ESPN, the Dan Levitard show, we'll have celebrity prognosticators, which are basically just random celebrities. Some don't even watch football. Right. And they'll have them pick and try to beat. And they had guys like Carrot Top, who beat Cowherd like six weeks straight. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm having having a bad weekend. I'm having a bad weekend right now, but it's not anywhere near that bad. So anybody watches sports, you should at least be able to go like three, right, seven, maybe right. four and eight. Or you should be able to six. hit at least at least one of the games oh, yeah. on uh, NFL playoff weekend. And this man has missed for three weeks now. Terrible. Just terrible. Ter- terrible. Greggy, what's your grumpy? All right. It's Greg's got a grumpy, a grumpy in his diaper. Well, speaking of someone who has a real grumpy in his diaper. Kevin Love? Should be Kevin Love. I got him last week. You did. But it is golfer Patrick Reed, whose attorneys sent a cease and desist to uh, golf commentator Brandel Chambly for calling him a cheater. Now, for those of you who uh, don't follow golf, especially off-season golf, too closely, uh, in the, I believe it was the Hero World Challenge, Patrick Reed was penalized uh, two strokes for basically uh, taking practice swings and, and you know, uh, improving the lie of his ball in the sand. So he's basically moving the ball and it got caught on camera. So he cheated. Oh, he's yeah. a cheater. He's had some issues with some of this crap in the past and also had some, you know, issues with him just being a giant dick to other golfers in the media. So, you know what? He cheated. He's a cheater. If you're that soft to the point where someone can't call you a cheater after you cheated, then get over it. There are so many sporting people that have been, you know, known for certain things. You know, they did one thing and they're known for it. You know, NBA players all the time, you know, you throw a punch, you're known for that. Uh, Draymond Green's known as the kicking the balls guy because he did that once or twice. Like, it's just how it is. Yeah. You know how you don't get labeled as a cheater? Don't you cheat. don't cheat. It's not that hard. And you know what? In one of those sports like golf, where people are known as soft and not athletes, pulling this crap, not great. Brooks Kepka, whatever about golf. Decent look for it. Him whining, being a cheater, mm-hmm. and whining about getting called a cheater, get over it. What 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 was the name of the golf commentator? Brandel Chambly. God, is, is there ever a name ever. that screams? white privilege i love it that's like the most golf commentator and that's the other thing it's not like you're going after some like Randy. you're going after brandle Brandle (laughs) and i'm sure he's calling it for not being in the spirit of the game (laughs) but still if you're a cheater get over it you can't even make up a better golf commentator name oh yeah you can tell he was either going to be in golf tennis or polo (laughs) or a stockbroker Alrighty. so to Lighten things up before we end the show, as we always do. We're ending up with some shout-outs. 
Dak, who are you shouting out today? Uh, I'm gonna shout out uh, Julian Edelman for who it sounds like was a fun fucking weekend Party. in LA. Uh, he got arrested Saturday night at, by the way, it was 9 p.m. <laughs> so take that for what you will. Wait, night. For vandalism, for jumping on the hood of a Mercedes Benz. Um, sounds like a blast. Congrats, Julian, for keeping up the fun. Look, he doesn't know what to do to do with himself. He's used to having to work I all the way through February. I want to go hang out with him. That sounds like... A, a, <laughs> what, it was him, Paul Pierce, and Danny Amendola? And Danny Amendola. What, uh, a, mo- what a motley that crew. That is a motley Boston. crew hanging out in L.A. So, uh, good luck to him. Yeah. Uh, and uh, next time, invi- invite us. Yeah, 30 Rack yeah, crew yeah. would come out with you. We'll, so. lo- we'll love to go out. Anyone knows Julian, uh, next time he's in Cincinnati. My brother has also jumped on the hood of a car drunk. He broke his ankle, though. So. <laughs> Great times. Great times. Uh, moral of the story, don't jump on cars. If it's expensive, you'll get arrested. If it's cheap, you'll fall off and you'll break your ankle. Uh, Josh, who are you shouting out today? Um, I'm shouting out uh, Cincinnati Sports Front Offices for actually trying. Um, whoa, that's whoa. a first. Yeah, I, I, it, is, it is a first. Oh, not Mike Brown. Um, not the Bengals. Um, you don't really have to try to make this pick. Uh, don't fuck that up. Uh, but no, Her I'm talking man. about I'm talking about the Reds and FC Cincinnati. Uh, people who have said in the past that we're going to try harder, and they actually are trying harder. Uh, so that's I don't care what the outcomes are. I just appreciate that we're trying harder. That's, nice. that's my shout out. Uh, finally, shouting out for me, I am shouting out Coach John Brannon of the UC Bearcats. Uh, you see, got his first road win of the season yesterday, and then tweeted out two underrated highs in life: one skyline after a long trip, two road wins. Shout out for him to bringing the team together and getting a road win. But most importantly, shout out to him for being a Cincinnati guy and being a skyline guy. Skyline uh, chili. Former coaches of the UC Bearcats that may be in Southern California called it just drunk food, which is a sin in Cincinnati, especially for him being a West Side. I was going to say, he so, was born and raised. That's so, so weird. So, nice to know that Brandon is one of us, it and Brandon a is a guy that I can in. believe in now that he's shown he's a real Cincinnatian. He's a Skyline guy. Shout out to him. And finally, shout out to all you listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you know, tweeting at us at 30 Rack Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Be sure to listen for any new updates. We will be back next week for Zach. What's up? For Josh on the ones and twos. I'm Greg. Thank you so much for listening to 30 Rack of Sports. We out.